welcome back to Talks on the Catechism of the Catholic Church. I am your instructor, David L. Gray, Master of Arts in Theology. And we begin. In nomine Pacis, Ephilio, Espiritu Sancti. In this talk, I will be highlighting Part 2, Section 2, The Seven Sacraments of the Church, Article 5, The Sacrament of the Anointing of Six, starting in paragraph 1499 and going all the way to paragraph 1352. In this talk, I will connect the sacrament of the anointing of the sick with the themes we have been repeating, such as how the sacrament relates to our capacity for God, how it relates to the economy of salvation, and how the sacrament of the anointing of the sick is intimately connected to the sacraments of penance and reconciliation and the Holy Eucharist. Recall again that in context of the Niceo-Constantinople Creed, when it comes to the theology of the sacraments, we are still in that final stanza of the Creed concerning the life and works of the Holy Spirit. The best place to begin this teaching is at the point of what necessitates the sacrament. Humanity's original sin not only wounded our spiritual condition by inclining us to sin through the abuse of our intellect in response to the temptations of the world, but it also wounded our physical condition. With the loss of original holiness and innocence, we also lost the original incorruptibility of our flesh and were doomed to sickness and death as God promised in Genesis chapter 3 verse 19 saying, By the sweats of your brow you shall eat bread until you return to the ground from which you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. The liturgy of Ash Wednesday of the season of Lent is a wonderful reminder that the final destination of our earthly remains of our body should not be the final destination of our soul, where it will be united with our eternal and new incorrupt body. In paragraphs 1500 through 1502, the Catechism of the Catholic Church imagines illness in the human life and the failing condition of the human body as being a type of unfolding diptych, where we see both the struggle and the mercy from God. Yes, on one side of the illustration, we see our illness and suffering causing much physical and mental anguish. It can make us feel helpless, alone, powerless, disabled, small, and even in despair. That is very difficult. And, and the church does not take our suffering lightly, nor does he just ask us to just offer our physical pain and our emotions of anguish and self-absorption up or to just deal with it. Rather, she asks us to consider the other illustration of the diptych where we can see ourselves in death, which the church hopes will provoke us to draw nearer and more ardently to God 
In this way, the sacred scriptures affirm that illness becomes a way to conversion. God's forgiveness initiates healing. If illness is a way to conversion and conversion requires communication with God, it therefore then implies that there is a way through which we communicate with God through our suffering. And if we communicate with God through our suffering, there is something we can say about the nature of suffering being participatory and liturgical. I remember when I went back home to visit my aunt Gloria because I had heard she had not been well. Upon my arrival at her house, I could tell that she was putting on a strong face for me. Perhaps because she is a very proud woman and doesn't want people fussing over her, especially me. I slept over at the house that night, but I did not sleep much because I, I grieved to hear her in pain and crying out to God all night saying things like, why does this hurt so bad? And why do I have to go through it? And, oh God, it hurts so bad. It tore me up on the inside. That's my favorite aunt. <laughs> and a woman that is almost as dear to me as my own mother, and she was in severe pain. Yet, I found myself also thinking how beautiful it was that she was praying unceasingly to God that night, how she was in conversation with God all night and inviting him in a liturgical way, in a liturgical type of way to participate in her pain and suffering. This night was an experience that has never left my recollection, not, not only because I discovered that suffering can be a type of liturgy, but also because I found myself a bit envious of my aunts and the people, people like her who get to experience physical suffering. To be sure, I have been in pain many times in my life, but it was also the type of pain that I knew was temporary, that would subside eventually. But how is it that we are all suffering and in pain and in some aspect of our life, but we do not pray all night that God will come and participate in our suffering. We should continue to explore suffering as being liturgical, but I'll leave it there for now. Returning to our examination of both sides of the diptych's illustration of the human condition, continues with the church's teaching in paragraph 1502. It is the experience of Israel that illness is mysteriously linked to sin and evil, and that faithfulness to God according to his law restores life. For I am the Lord, your healer. The prophet intuits that Suffering can also have a redemptive meaning for the sins of others. The hinges that allow this diptych to open and close would 
seem to be the promise from Isaiah chapter 33, verse 24, prophesying, No one who dwells there will say, I am sick. The people who live there will be forgiven of their guilt. In this way, when he walked among us, the ministry of Christ Jesus was an unhidden sign in every way of who we would be in the kingdom of God. Christ Jesus himself was the sign that the prophecy of Isaiah was true. That's in the kingdom of God, which was now at hand. We would be free of both spiritual sickness, that is sin and guilt, but also physical sickness. Free of both physical and spiritual death and decay. As paragraph 1503 informs us, Jesus has the power not only to heal, but also to forgive sins. He has come to heal the whole man, soul, and body. He is the physician the sick have need of. Again, because sickness and death were both caused by sin, it necessitated that Christ Jesus demonstrate not only that he was a great physician with the power to heal the body of sin, illness, and death, but also to teach us how the two are related in the sacraments of the church. The most compelling narrative in the sacred scriptures that our Lord not only wants to heal our body, but also our soul, is from Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. When four men opened the roof above Jesus to lower on a mat the paralytic man, the text then says, When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Child, your sins are forgiven. After being challenged by the scribes there on this occasion about him presuming to have the authority to forgive sins outside of the rituals and feast days of the religious establishment have ascribed for such mercy, Jesus says, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, pick up your mat and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins on earth, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, Pick up your mat and go home. This same immutable aspect of the nature and ministry of Christ Jesus being the divine physician of our souls and our bodies is also contained in the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist, which is Him, truly Him, which therefore means that this Holy Eucharist forgives us of our venial sins, it preserves us from future mortal sins, 
It provides our body nourishment that restores our lost strength. And according to the Apostle Paul in his first letter to the Church of Corinth, the Holy Eucharist is also connected with bodily health, writing, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgments on himself. This is why many of you are ill and infirm and a considerable number are dying. St. Ignatius of Antioch also seems to connect worthy reception in the Holy Eucharist with bodily health in his letter to Sumerians in 107 AD, writing, They abstain from the Holy Eucharist and from the public offices because they confess not the Eucharist to be the flesh of our Savior Jesus Christ which suffered for our sins and which the Father, Godhead, God the Father of his goodness, raised again from the dead. And for this cause, contradicting the gift of God, they die in their disputes. But much better would have been for them to receive it that they might one day rise through it. Another aspect of healing that the Catechism Catholic Church speaks about is the gift or special charism of healing which we witness performed by the apostles in the book of Acts and well spoken of by the apostle Paul in his first letter to the church at Corinth, where he writes about the gifts of healing by the Holy Spirit. So, while the church affirms a particular gift of corporal healing from the Holy Spirit and a fruit of corporal healing from worthy reception of the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist, and one of the fruits of the sacrament of baptism and penance of reconciliation being one of healing of the soul, Paragraph 1510 and 1511 of the Catechism Catholic Church teaches that the sacrament of the anointing of the sick stands alone as the sacrament intended to strengthen those who are tired by illness, writing, However, the apostolic church has its own right for the sick attested to by St. James. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders, the presbyters of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And a prayer of faith will save the sick man, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Tradition has recognized this right, one of the seven sacraments. The faithful who are ideally positioned for the sacrament anointing of the sick are those who are in danger of death from sickness or old age or those who are near or undergoing a serious surgical operation. 
They or someone on their behalf will do as James recommended. Call for a priest or a bishop who are the ministers of this sacrament. For their part, the recipients of the sacrament should dispose themselves to receive in good faith. Preferably, whenever the sacrament is celebrated, the church teaches in paragraph 1517 that it is very fitting to celebrate it within the Eucharist, the memorial of the Lord's Passover. If circumstances suggest it, the celebration of the sacrament can be preceded by the sacrament of penance and followed by the sacraments of the Eucharist. As the sacraments of Christ's Passover, the Eucharist should always be the last sacrament of the earthly journey, the Vaticum, for passing over to eternal life. Since the Second Vatican Council, the form of the sacrament of the anointing of the sick in the Roman rite is an anointing of the recipient on their forehead and hands with duly blessed oil pressed from olives or from other plants, saying only once, Through this holy anointing, may the Lord, in his love and mercy, help you with the grace of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord who frees you from sin save you and raise you up. In the Eastern Rites, the blessed oil may be applied to other parts of the body as well. Paragraphs 1520 through 1525 explain the five effects or special grace of this sacrament as the uniting of the sick person to the passion of Christ for his own good and that of the whole church, the strengthening peace and courage to endure in a Christian manner the sufferings of illness or old age, the forgiveness of sins if the sick person was not able to obtain it through the sacrament of penance, the restoration of health if it is conducive to the salvation of his soul, and in the case of the Vatican, that is the reception of penance, anointing of the sick, and the Holy Eucharist at the end of life together. These sacraments prepare us for our heavenly homeland or complete our earthly pilgrimage. To conclude this talk, let us draw back to our understanding of our capacity for God and consider how the sacrament of the anointing of the sick participates in that gift from God. It is natural when we are physically ill and suffering to feel as our loss of strength has reduced our capacity for God. But the reality is just the opposite, as the Apostle Paul wrote in his second letter to the church at Corinth, saying, Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and constraints for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, 
then I am strong. That is, our capacity for the finite is only affected by our spiritual condition, not by our physical condition. Rather, it is through the recognition of our weakness that we call out to God and invite Him to come participate in our suffering by calling for a priest or a bishop to anoint us so that we might receive the special graces we need to participate more deeply in the life of Him who we have invited to come participate in our life and suffering. In this way, we should think of the sacrament of anointing the sick just as we think of all the other sacraments. That is, as a type of liturgical dialogue between God and the one who is being conformed to the image of God through His grace in the midst of our struggles. In our next encounter, I look forward to sharing with you the Catholic Church's teaching on the sacraments of holy orders. Thank you for listening.